Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal podcast, an organization dedicated to supporting innovative policymakers and ideas to solve our most challenging problems. We'll be meeting in Washington, D.C. in late November for our annual conference. Check out NewDealLeaders.org for more information. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a special post-election episode of An Honorable Profession. The Democrats won back the House of Representatives and some other key races around the country. I thought there'd be no better person to talk to about these results than Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South Bend, Indiana. Why Mayor Pete? Well, first, he's a great mayor. And according to Barack Obama, he's the future of American politics. He's a veteran, he's a Harvard-educated Rhodes Scholar, an out gay man, and a guy who gave up big money and the big city to return to his hometown and make a difference. He's a New Deal leader, and he might just be running for president in 2020. We're going to talk to Mayor Pete about what he saw in last night's results and where this country may be headed politically. I also want you to hear more about his remarkable life story and his commitment to public service. I hope that you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And please tell your friends about An Honorable Profession and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Hey, Mayor Pete, thanks so much for joining us today. It's the day after the election, and it gives us a real opportunity to hear your insights about uh, what you think the implications of this election are and where our country may be headed. Well, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So the Dems picked up the House, and we also lost a couple heartbreaking statewide races in Florida, Georgia, and in your neck of the woods in Indiana. So what are your takeaways from this, uh, from this election? So a few things. One thing that we definitely saw is that uh, conservative areas stayed conservative and in some places became more so. That's definitely a pattern that played out uh, for the most part in Indiana and some of the other races that we were tracking. Uh, at the same time, we also saw uh, a lot of areas that uh, voted strongly Republican before uh, either see the margin go down by a lot or actually flip into Democratic hands. I think one of the most interesting patterns is actually the generational one. The number of uh, newer, younger candidates from uh, Lauren Underwood in Illinois to Joe Cunningham in South Carolina uh, who emerged as first-time candidates uh, stepped into what everybody expected to be a very uphill race. And we're able, largely by having the election uh, really tied to local dynamics as well as national ones, uh, to turn a lot of heads and, uh, and win in a traditionally red district. Um, we're going to be sorting through the math and, and drawing conclusions for a while because there were so many uh, indicators that pointed in different directions. But I think, uh, you know, the biggest picture is you had a pretty strong wave at the level of the kind of national vote. Um, but in the districts we're working with and the states that were on the Senate map, uh, what it translated to was a, a healthy, uh, if if somewhat modest, relative to expectations gain in the House, and then just uh, uh, not possible to make the climb in the Senate. And you know, what are your what are you seeing, especially in Indiana? Traditionally, races have been defined. There's been a national conversation, but as Tip O'Neill said, all politics is local. Um, are those days gone? Are we, are, is it all one big national election now? Is it translating down to our level, the state and local level, uh, where we're having conversations at the federal level? What are you seeing about sort of the, the changing dynamics of these races, if you're seeing a change? 
Again, I mean, uh, you know, part of what I think you'll see is that if you're a Democrat in a conservative area, then the less national, the better. One of the reasons I think uh, Cunningham succeeded out in the Charleston area in South Carolina was that he was partly focused on a very local issue, which had to do with offshore drilling and uh, gained an advantage over the Republican that way. Um, We also saw some interesting kind of state and local issues that changed the answer, even here in Indiana. For example, uh, uh, we had a, a candidate named J.D. Ford. A uh, young candidate for state senate in a very conservative area, uh, Democrat uh, became the uh, first openly gay person elected to the state legislature, and did so running against uh, an established conservative Republican who has consistently stood in the way of Indiana getting hate crimes legislation. So another example of some of the more complex dynamics that make it possible for Democrats to win when we're focused on some of the things that are happening locally. Um, You know, I I think the the more national the race was, at least in the red states, uh, the worse for Democrats. But uh, here again, it's it's a little more complicated than that. Look at uh, Chris Kobach uh, being defeated in the governor's race in Kansas. Uh, I got to think that that uh, partly related to the way that Kansas has felt about things going just too far in a somewhat radical state level conservative experiment. But uh, also seems to be the case that, uh, you know, Kobach's attachment to uh, a president who is popular in Republican areas uh, certainly didn't save him and uh, arguably harmed just as much as it helped. So sort of based on that, as as people gear up and they're shockingly, they are already gearing up for 2020, not just for presidential races, but for all these uh, state, local, and federal races, what would you advise candidates on how to talk to their communities, on how to talk about issues? Um, you know, it's it's we're less than 24 hours since the end of the election, so it's hard to maybe hard to draw you know definitive insights. But but what what would you tell people right now? Well, it's clear that there was a benefit to not being the same olds. I think a a lot of candidates did well, again, thinking about some of these young Democratic challengers who stepped up, whether it's people like Colin Allred in Texas or, uh, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see good results from uh, someone like uh, Ben McAdams in in Utah. I think his race is still too close to call uh, as we speak right now. But, uh, uh, you know, a lot of folks who didn't just look like a reflection of the familiar Washington game. And so I think one thing to think about is, you know, how are you going to tell your own story and look like you're an alternative to what people are growing tired of? Uh, a second is that, uh, you know, you should stake out uh, some of your own uh, territory in terms of what it means to be a Democrat. We saw a lot of national security Democrats, or I'm going to call them that, people who are either veterans of the post-9-11 conflicts or uh, people who uh, had some role in a civilian capacity as frontline civilians in uh, dangerous roles uh, around the world uh, supporting American national security. Not all of them pulled it out again, but it was clear that uh, people who were running as Democrats with that background really beat expectations and beat what the numbers would tell you was possible in a lot of these conservative areas. And uh, again, all politics really is local. So uh, one thing we learned is that what makes sense in New Jersey is very different than what makes sense in Indiana or uh, what makes sense in Texas. And that, those are the dynamics that I think we'll be really studying closely for days or even weeks as we assess the election that just happened and think about what it means for the next one to come. One of the things that people are talking about in these elections is this idea that uh, there's a new expectations on candidates to be um, more quote unquote, authentic, to be less handled, less managed, to get out there and talk uh, authentically and, you know, for better or worse, our, our, from our president uh, to candidates across this country, you're seeing it. How, as mayors and as local elected officials, we 
we can't, we have to be authentic because people knew us growing up. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and, and, or they know us, you know, they know us in a context outside of being a mayor. Um, how, how do, how would emerging candidates or people who are thinking about running the first time, how do you think they should navigate that, that desire for people to see real people running, but then also that means real people make mistakes and, you know, sometimes say the wrong thing and then get hit with it. Yeah. I think the more people feel like they know you, the more you can afford to be a little bit vulnerable and uh, even a little bit uneven as you're first getting on your feet. Uh, so it's a strange piece of advice to give or to get be yourself. Cause I think one question is who else would you be? But uh, I think the real question is how do you go about making sure that voters and people getting to know you for the first time, perhaps on television, uh, really do get to know you as your authentic self. That's one of the reasons I think digital campaigning is getting so interesting, you know, whether it's uh, tweets or, or, or uh, Facebook live videos, different mechanisms exist now that I think help peel away some of the layers and help people really to get to know candidates. And I think uh, as a candidate or as an official, it's a great way to, to help uh, make sure that people really have a sense of you in terms of your own style and not just the things that make their way into press releases or uh, short television interviews. Uh, now, that being said, that doesn't mean that uh, everybody should just uh, try to, quote, go viral. Uh, a lot of the people who really captured uh, I think attention and, and were very impressive within the Democratic Party because they had uh, the great video, the great ad, the great uh, uh, viral hit that didn't necessarily translate into winning. Uh, it made a lot of folks, I think, uh, very celebrated and, and exciting on the Democratic side, but uh, it's not enough. So I would uh, instead treat those those digital tools as just a way to help make sure people get to know the real you and, and make sure they take their place alongside other perhaps more familiar, more traditional ways of campaigning. So I think that's a good segue into talking about the real you, uh, Mayor Pete. Uh, so you have gone uh, from the mayor of a you know mid-sized American city, uh, albeit with a great college football team, uh, <laughs> to uh, all of a sudden having a national profile, both in your race for uh, the DNC uh, chair, but also just generally as a voice that's coming out of um, coming out of communities that where the Democrats haven't had a uh, maybe a coherent messengers or, or, uh, been able to tell their stories. How are you, as you're trying to, uh, engage a much bigger audience than South Bend, Indiana, going to try to maintain your authenticity to try to let people get to know you? Well, part of it, I think, is that, uh, you know, when I am speaking outside of uh, South Bend, Indiana, I'm uh, usually speaking in some way on behalf of South Bend, too. Even if it's a political and not official capacity, it's a chance to share South Bend's story. And I think, you know, one of the reasons people have paid attention to what I'm doing is uh, uh, really as, as much about our city and its trajectory as it is about uh, anything connected to me as a person. Uh, you know, I think people are especially interested to see examples of success in the industrial Midwest. You know, I think there was a, an impression that was created in 2016 that maybe the, the only formula or the only way to connect with the industrial Midwest is, is looking backwards and, and offering a more closed vision of how the world works. A lot of resentment, a lot of nostalgia. And I think South Bend story shows that uh, that's actually not true. And one of the interesting things we've seen in recent election uh, actually is that uh, even if Democrats had their hopes up in 
uh, some parts of the country a little uh, a little higher than was actually possible. Actually, here in the Midwest, you look at places like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan. Uh, that's where actually the results were dramatically better than we saw in 2016. And I think it's because there really is space for a different conversation. Uh, so I enjoy sharing that story, and and I think uh, you know the more I uh, make sure whatever I have to tell people outside of the area is rooted in all of the things that make South Bend's own story more compelling. Um, you know, then I think that people are getting to know uh, a story that, uh, uh, you know, sharing it, uh, if anything, makes me feel even more rooted in home because I'm, I'm taking something from home and just trying to make sure that uh, the rest of the country understands what's going on and what it means. That makes sense. That makes that makes a lot of sense. How um, what is the story of South Bend that that is sort of uh, I mean, I, I know because we've uh, dorked out together about city policy <laughs> on, you know, trash pickups or crime uh, uh, in ways to engage and prevent crime or other things. But what is that story that can resonate on the, on the coast and across the country that the industrial Midwest and South Bend specifically can, can tell? Well, I think, uh, you know, part of it is the trajectory of a community like ours that was you know, listed in, national publications is dying uh, less than a decade ago and is now growing in terms of population and investment uh, just to show that it can be done. In terms of how you do it, uh, you know, there's no formula for everybody, but I think South Bend's story has to do with uh, coupling uh, good policies with uh, the right kind of tone, calling the community to its highest values, uh, looking at a lot of areas where we threatened to be divided, whether it was around race or around our economic future, uh, and finding that, that there's actually great strength and, and, and unity through our diversity, but also making sure we had just common sense policies that helped this community grow, whether it was transforming our streetscape to make sure downtown felt like a city again, uh, or quickly addressing vacant and abandoned houses so that uh, residents and neighbors could uh, literally see and, and, and touch and feel the improvements that were happening. Uh, you know, you've, you've got to bet, make sure that the rhetoric is backed up by results. And so much, I think, a government at any level has to do with making sure that a uh, conversation that calls people to, to values uh, is backed up by a sense that we can also competently and effectively run a government. You know, uh, there are all these debates that uh, I think consume way too many calories in the national space about uh, the size of government, how big it is or how small it is. Uh, I think anybody who's operated at the local level especially in a community that faces the different kinds of challenges and opportunities that a place like South Bend does, is that it's really about how you make sure government works for people. Uh, and uh, it's uh, about moving forward. It's not about how big or how small it is. It's about how we tune the, the, the instruments of government, uh, use all, all of the different equipment that government represents to make sure people are safer, to make sure that they're freer, uh, to make sure that uh, they have a better platform on which to build good lives even if we're neutral in the political space about what makes a good life. We're not trying to tell people how to live lives. We just know that lives will go better uh, if there's less crime and clean, safe drinking water and good road design and smart economic policy too. A quick word from our sponsor. An Honorable Profession is brought to you by Tech for America, an organization dedicated to providing a platform to solve America's toughest public challenges. For more information, visit t4a.org. That's T, the number four, A, dot org. I think one of the things that, that you've been really good at um, and communicating to other mayors and and just just when you 
when you read the stories and people talking about South Bend is you've understood both the good policies, the clean streets and trash pickups and um, dealing with uh, abandoned homes and all that. But you've also recognized how important it is to just build social connections and build hope in your community and build belief in your community. Uh, and you've done that, you know, with your, with engaging with downtown, which was not just a project, but it was also about giving people a real tangible sense that, that South Bend was going to go in a different direction. Um, and then you also did it with your op-ed, uh, coming out to your community and really sort of engaging conversation so that some of these divides that we're seeing nationally, um, you know, are, are, uh, seem less important and we start to give people connection and hope. And then once we have connection and hope, we can start doing a lot more. How do you take what you've done in South Bend to scale, right? Like it's, it's easy because people knew you from growing up or they've had a connection with you. Uh, it's a community where people may know each other across generations uh, or connect through football or other, other activities. How do you do it uh, when there are social media and other forces really tearing us apart at, at a larger scale? Well, I think it's, it's always a tough thing to do. I think the, the rewards, uh, the reward system of social media, much like the reward system of the United States Congress kind of presses us uh, to be more negative, to be more divided. Uh, but I think what any executive learns pretty quickly is that you can and should be strong in your values. And at the same time, uh, learn to be good at working with people who are very different from you and try to command respect uh, for your positions, not by pretending that the positions are only half of what they are, but by making it clear that you came by them honestly and by recognizing that there's a, a negotiation to, to take place whenever you're trying to get something done. Uh, you know, no matter what the job is, I think from, from dog catcher to president, uh, so much of it is, is really down to uh, two things. One is advancing good policies that are going to uh, help anybody who, who interacts with your level of government do well. Uh, and uh, another is to competently run whatever set of responsibilities has been handed to you. Uh, and I think that that's something that uh, is the case at every level, especially for executives. The third element that I think uh, every mayor uh, experiences, but uh, that is also true of the more visible offices, is to call your constituency, your community, to its highest values. And I think if you can do those three things well uh, at any level, you know, even at uh, the intimate level of local government in a smaller community, advance good policies, competently run an administration, and call a community to its highest values. Uh, I think doing that at the local level really shouldn't be that different from doing it at a state or national level. And my hope is that we'll see more of that style of leadership uh, work its way from local communities to Washington, uh, rather than see the style that's prevailing right now in Washington spread to the state and local level of government. Do you think there's a hunger out there? Do you think there's a a reward for people who who do that? Because um, there's certainly you certainly get rewarded in the other, as you mentioned, in the other direction uh, for divisiveness. Is there emerging desire or rewards for people who can who can pull people together? I think so. I think there has to be. Uh, it may, might be harder. In fact, it certainly is harder, but that makes it all the more worth doing. Otherwise, why are we even in politics? And I think that, uh, you know, anyone who runs for office is, uh, is automatically in an act of hope. 
there's an act of, of, of faith just in, in being willing to do that because you wouldn't do it if you didn't think it was worth it and didn't think it made a difference. So it's also got to be guided by the right values. And I think, uh, you know, certain behaviors are certainly most likely to be rewarded in terms of attention. Uh, but one of the benefits that, that I think uh, is a good habit that you can form, especially if you happen to be a mayor in a community where, where you're the largest community in the media market, is uh, uh, you spend a little less time thinking about how to get attention and more time thinking about how to manage attention. And I think so much attention is already going to be coming to uh, really anybody who is an interesting, promising, credible, emerging leader in our party. But the real question is going to be not how do you get the very most likes or tweets? Uh, you know, I, I could point to a lot of people who are Democrats who um, probably get the most clicks right now, but are highly unlikely to command the most support. Uh, and instead, the question becomes, OK, how do you inspire loyalty? How do you move people uh, and how do you get people to come on board with the, the coalition or the program you're trying to build? That's a much more challenging question than, <laughs> than how to make sure that most people have heard your name. Uh, but I think ultimately it's the more enduring and important one. When you figure out that uh, that method, will you let us all know uh, so we can uh, so, we, so we can start to, to to engage people in a different way? Well, I think we're all in it together. But one thing I will say is it's amazing uh, how much uh, you get in terms of uh, opportunity and, and credibility and just a longer and longer leash when you're able to get results. And that's one of the reasons I think that so much of the future that our party is going to be built. Uh, on the strength of people who have already been doing good work uh, at the state and at the local level, people who have that experience of actually getting real things done. Uh, and uh, admittedly, it's a biased perspective because that's what mayors think about all day. Um, but I think that gives us more room than maybe we've given our cre ourselves credit for um, to pull votes from the other side and to uh, build just a different account of how politics works. I think a lot of people are doing it right now. A lot of them are uh, people I've got to know in the New Deal program. And uh, I think there's just going to be more where that came from. Thanks. And speaking of, so speaking of getting things done at the local level and building new models, about 10 years ago, you were a Harvard-educated Rhodes Scholar working at McKinsey in Chicago making a bunch of money. Um, and you chose to leave that and return back to your to your community. And I imagine that there are uh, people just like you all over the country who maybe hopefully listen to this podcast, uh, who, uh, who are sitting, you know, came from a smaller community, fought hard to get out, are in big cities, making good salaries. What's the case you would make for them to, to walk away uh, and return home and try to try to engage in the local politics that, that you've described? You know, I've, I've run into a lot of people with a story similar to mine. Grew up, as you said, in a place that had a lot of challenges. Maybe grew up uh, imbibing the message that success had to do with getting out of home, only to realize that home meant more than we realized. And I think the concept of home is nearer to the center of uh, our party's values than it's been maybe in a, in a generation or more. Uh, but I meet so many people who also also share that story, who saw a chance to make a greater impact, saw a chance to find a higher purpose, certainly a less glamorous environment, probably less well compensated. And maybe found ourselves, as I did, having to explain to people uh, who were puzzled uh, in bigger cities why I would be moving home. In fact, uh, uh, I've written a book uh, that will come out uh, early next year, Shortest Way Home, about 
uh, about this very trajectory. Um, but I also think a lot of people feel that deep down. And if you're, uh, if you're in that moment, maybe you're, you're in the warm embrace of, a, of an institution or a large organization that has a lot of prestige and takes good care of you, but you're just, uh, you're looking for more in terms of purpose. You want to uh, work on something that is intrinsically important to you, uh, not just something that is professionally important to you. Um, that could be a sign of a calling to public service. And there's um, a great risk. There's a great leap of faith that happens uh, when you leave that warm embrace. But the reward on the other side uh, is extraordinary. It's compelling. I think it's calling more and more people in our generation and younger uh, to get back involved in, in their communities and to be involved in public service. Uh, and, uh, you know, having gone through that experience, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful. Uh, thankful that I had the background I did, but also thankful that I was able to step away from it and do something different. And can you talk a little bit about making change at the scale of a community? I mean, I think there the other the other alternative is there's folks who are working in public service, maybe in Washington, D.C., uh, who came from these small towns. Um, what's the case for going for, you know, even, even if you're engaged in trying to change the world for coming back to a place like, like South Bend or the, or another community of Santa Cruz, uh, and trying to make a difference there. Well, as you know, when, when you're at that level, you can get your arms around the changes that need to happen, and you can actually do it. Uh, obviously, we need great people doing good work at every level, but um, when you're in that community local level, it's so much more hands-on. It's so much more tactile, and, and uh, you get the feedback immediately. You know if something worked or if something failed, and you learn on your feet, uh, and uh, you, you keep iterating until you get something that serves residents well. Um, the other thing that, that I, I find rewarding, even though it's also challenging, uh, is the fact that at the local level, um, people who have a stake in your decisions, they know it, uh, they let you know it, and uh, you never have to wonder whether what you're doing is making an impact. Uh, if you inconvenience somebody with a decision, you're going to have to look them in the eye and explain why. Uh, if you make somebody better off in their life with something that you did, uh, they will seek you out and they will let you know. And uh, uh, not just in terms of the fulfillment and the reward that comes from that, but also the growth and the learning that comes from that. Uh, I can't think of an environment that, that has that same, uh, that same just compelling dynamic to it. And the last thing I would say is for people from a new generation wondering where you can make the greatest impact, uh, a lot of the barriers are just a little bit lower at the local level. You still have to find a way to uh, figure out a community, make yourself useful, and get involved in the process. But uh, I would argue that it's more welcoming to newcomers than any other level at a moment when we need newcomers coming into public processes and public service all over the place. Absolutely. Des desperately, desperately, desperately need you. So if you're listening out there, quit your job, move back to your hometown. <laughs> Come uh, on in. The water's fine. Yeah, exactly. It's all going to work out. But I mean, but one of the things in reading your profile, uh, so when you moved back, uh, you ran for state treasurer at 26 uh, and you lost pretty badly. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then you've also, you ran for DNC chair and you lost. Um, but from both those experiences, it seemed it's easy for leaders and for the media to construct these narratives where all these victories just seem inevitable and it's just sort of one step in front of the other, you know, um, you've really benefited by losing. Um, can you talk about how you calculate that sort of risk and reward of taking chances and running for offices, uh, and even at the risk of losing? 
Yeah, and this is a conversation I'll be having in the next few days with a number of deeply impressive candidates who stepped up for the first time, fell short, but I think are going to be the very stuff that our party is made of going forward. Uh, you know, there's something to be said for winning by losing, and it doesn't always happen. And you certainly don't go into a race hoping for that. But I would say that uh, I am as thankful and as glad that I ran in the races that I lost as I am in the races that I won. It's often where you grow the most. It's where you learn the most. And you can intrinsically do a great deal of good simply by campaigning. It's incredibly empowering to be able to communicate with people uh, and to have the platform that you get. Holding public office is a platform to shape people's views and make change. But so is running for public office, even when you don't win. You can have a tremendous impact. It's one of the reasons why the conduct of campaigns is so important. And I think often that's overlooked. Uh, you know, running for office compels you to extend yourself to other people. Uh, it makes you grow in ways that just nothing else uh, can do. And you never know what a given candidacy is going to lead to. So, I, you know, my advice uh, for just about anybody, look, there are some people who probably shouldn't run for office, but just about <laughs> anybody who uh, feels com called and compelled to do it is do it. You'll regret if you didn't. Um, you, you know, you, you don't want to miss a moment. Uh, and even if it doesn't go your way, you will grow, you will learn, uh, and you will have had the chance to do a great deal of good. So taking your advice in our last uh, minute or two together, what is, uh, what, are, what are your plans? Uh, what, are, what, are, what are you looking at doing um, with, uh, with taking the sorts of risks that, you're, that, uh, that I agree that, that, uh, that other people should take? Well, I got a lot of questions to figure out on my own end, too. And, uh, you know, some of that's at a personal and family level. Some of it's at a community level. I think anytime you seek any office, it comes down to looking at two things and seeing how they line up. The one thing you look at is what the office calls for, what the community uh, or constituency you're hoping to serve really needs. And the other is what you bring to the table. And if you find a, a special fit, if you find a great match between those two things, that's how you know it's time to step up and run. Uh, in my case, I'm, I'm weighing that uh, right here in South Bend, and I'm weighing that for some other things. And, uh, you know, pretty soon I'm going to need to share with my community uh, whether I'm going to seek another term as mayor. And uh, a lot of other decisions uh, uh, will take their cue from that. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Um, I hope the listeners out there uh, recognize the the power and opportunity uh, in these hometowns uh, and in engaging in public service and really um, the model that you've set for so, for so many people in this country. Uh, we're, we're, we're truly grateful. Well, thank you. I'm grateful every day to serve and uh, always uh, love talking with other people who were inspired to do the same. Thank you. And uh, I look forward to seeing you uh hopefully soon at the, maybe at the new deal conference, uh, I'll be later, there. later this month. All right, cool. I'll buy you a beer. Good. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll take you up on that. Thank you. <laughs> Th thanks. Talk to you later, Pete. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to an honorable profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcasts, Special thanks to Plantronics who provided a great headset to make this interview possible. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we are keeping things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.